Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, I pray as we enter this next segment of worship that you would remain the central focus of our attention, that we would be here for one reason only, and that reason would be to magnify the Lord Jesus. I pray that our hearts would be opened, that we would be ready to be affected and changed by your presence in our lives. I pray that you would speak mightily to us through your living word. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So tonight, instead of a typical scripture reading, what I'm going to do is tell you a story. We have two chapters of Judges to cover tonight, chapters 4 and chapter 5. So if you want, you can go ahead and make your way into your Bibles to Judges chapter 4 and 5. This past Thursday, I had an opportunity to sit under teaching of someone I really respect, Tim Keller. And as I was there for the training we were going through in the workshop, some questions were asked of us, and it had us evaluate ourselves and our personal prayer life. One of the questions said, on a scale from one to five or zero to five, how would you rate yourself on sacrificial giving? My first thought was pretty low, but then my flesh started to realize all the things I sacrifice. I have four kids, so there's some sacrifice going on there. There's uh, being a husband, there's always sacrifice both ways in a, in a marriage. There's being a pastor, there's uh, being, I think, a good friend, a decent brother, and a, a fair, fairly good son. There's lots of pressures that go on, and I, and I started thinking back, in all the times of my life, I feel like I'm a pretty sacrificial person. One of the things I found myself struggling with in my own private life is feeling like I deserve a break. That maybe I give too much. That maybe now it's time for someone to start taking care of me a little bit. And then I had a picture as I scored myself highly on that sacrificial giving. I had a picture of Jesus on the cross. And I saw this magnificent sacrifice that he gave throughout his whole life. It just kind of flashed before me. And I thought, wow, he really did give a lot. But he didn't have four kids. <laughs> but he did give a lot. Have you ever felt like you, you give and you give and you give and the cost of that giving is not worth it? That you're sick of it? You're just ready to give up? That it seems like no matter what you do, the cost is just too high? I'm tired of this Christian walk. I'm tired of, of, of this relationship. It's too much work. And, and so sometimes in our walk of faith, we think, you know, the cost of this faith is just too high. I don't think it's worth it. I want to tell you a story from the book of Judges. It's in chapter 4 and 5. And I want to tell you about three characters. The first character is Barak. It looks like Barak. It's not the president. Don't worry. This is written a long time ago. But it's Barak. And he's the first character in the story. He's a general. He's a leader. He has a lot of men under his leadership as the leader of Israel's army. The next character is Deborah. She's a prophetess. She's a judge, if you will. She's an arbitrator. She's the mother of Israel. 
people come to her and she settles disputes for them. She doesn't act like in the high courtroom where they come before the judge, but she was out among the people under the palm of Deborah, it says, and they would come to her and she would settle disputes. So she was highly favored by God and put into a position of authority. And then we have Jael. Now, if you're Jewish, you may recognize this name as Yael, which is Y-A-E-L. In our English translation, it's J-A-E-L. There's no J in the Hebrew language, so it's like we say Jesus in English. In Hebrew, it would be Yeshua, which is also Joshua as well. It can be confusing. Uh, you also can think about uh, Joseph as Joseph instead of Joseph. So that's Jael is the third character, and uh, I'll let the story tell you about her. Today, we're going to cover these two chapters, and the first chapter, four, gives us the facts of the story. It goes through and it says, this is what happened, and then chapter five looks back on chapter four. It's a song written by Deborah as she talks about how God was working all through chapter four, even though he's only mentioned three or four times. So here's the story. Here's what happened. Israel had fallen back into that cycle of sin and rebellion. The previous judge had died, and now they were forgetting God, and they were living as if God mattered not at all to them. They were doing what was right in their own eyes. Their idolatry and rebellion had angered God so much that we're told in Judges chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, you can read with me there, It says, And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. So Israel had about 10,000 men under the leadership of the general named Barak. But they were no match for Sisera and his army of 900 chariots. Israel's army, while sounding impressive of 10,000 against 900 chariots, is like sending an army of riflemen out to fight armored tanks. They would have been massacred. But God goes and he tells Deborah to go and tell Barak, that it's time to go to war. So she went to him and she said, it's now time for you to go to war. So he led his army into what seemed to be, from a human standpoint, a hopeless battle with a superior enemy. But the story of Judges tells us that Barak had the upper hand because God was on his side. He couldn't lose. God intended to use his his formidable-looking army of 10,000 to draw the iron chariots of Sisera into the field of battle. And once all of his chariots were committed to the field, it was God who destroyed them. We'll jump to chapter 5, verse 4 and 5 to see us get this point. In chapter 5, verse 4, it says, Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped Yes, the clouds dropped water, and the mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. 
So God had caused it to rain heavily and the earth to shake. So when Sisera was committed to the battle, God brought this storm out of the south and it began to rain a lot. The iron chariots, what happened is they were stuck in the mud. They couldn't get out and they were limited mobility. On top of that, there was an earthquake. They had a bad day. They were faced with uh, an obvious reality that Israel's God had showed up and they were battling a formidable opponent more than they knew. So Barak's forces weren't far behind them. Sisera's, the bad guy, his army started to run and they were all killed. And so did Sisera. He ran, but he wasn't killed. He ran away to the north into the mountains and he hid in what he thought was a friend's tent. The woman there was named Jael. And she fed him and said, he said, can I have some water? He said, she said, sure, I'll, actually I'll give you some milk. It'll help you sleep. And so she gave him milk and he fell asleep. She was really sweet to him. But after he fell asleep, this is where it gets interesting. She took a hammer and a tent peg, not the plastic ones that we get at Walmart, the big metal ones. And she put it on his temple and she drove it through his head. I think I'll just stop there. The scripture, after it says that, says these words, these three words. So he died. Probably didn't need that in there. In a story with so many details, it's impossible for us in one day to cover all the many aspects that we can draw from the scripture. So today I want us to take a broad brushstroke and paint a picture to highlight the story of faith that we see among these characters. And we see how great a cost their faith was for these characters. People were living in a time, Judges is extremely relevant for us today because we live in a culture where people do whatever's right in their own eyes. And this is exactly what was happening at this time. So this still applies to us today. We see that uh, three ways that faith costs us. And so if you want to make notes, you can do that on the bulletin that we have for you. You can make notes. Uh, there'll be three of them. Here's the first one. Faith, faith costs us in three ways. Number one, it costs us our honor. Faith costs our honor. And we desire to be honored by others. And this week I was aware of how many times I do things for others Desiring to be appreciated, to be honored, to be thanked, to be recognized. You know, why do I tell a joke? It's because I want to make people laugh and I want them to think I'm funny. Why do I buy someone's dinner? Because I want them to think I'm a nice guy and show love for them. Why do I make my kids take showers? Well, that's just good parenting. Uh, but what if all the good things that you ever did, what if they were never noticed by anyone? Or worse, what if your best accomplishment, the one thing that you love for people to find out you did, what if someone else got the credit for it? What if the thing you treasured the most, and you just couldn't wait to tell people about this, someone else gets the credit for it? Look with me in Judges chapter 4, verse 8. Barak was just told by Deborah 
to go and battle. In verse 8, we pick up here, he says, he replies back to, to Deborah, and he says, if you will go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. In other words, what you're about to do, this journey you're going on, is not going to be to your credit. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went with them. So Barak was told, this is your assignment. You're going to win the battle, but guess what? A woman is going to get credit. She's going to be the hero of the day. You're not going to receive the glory. The Lord's going to use someone else to give justice to Cicero. This is part of faith in the Lord. In many ways, it's not an honorable thing in the world's eyes to acknowledge that you are in desperate need of a Savior. When you say you're a Christian, what you're saying is that you're dishonorable. On your own, I'm dishonorable, and I am in need of Jesus to die for me. And once we are in Christ, it's better. I mean, we'll get to that in a few minutes too. But once we're in Christ, we're called to serve. God doesn't call us just to be up on the pedestal so that people can say, wow, Daniel, he's such a great guy. But he calls us to serve the way Jesus served. And we're told that all of the glory that people try to give to us, we're to be like a mirror and reflect it to the Lord. So as a Christian, our goal is for people to see all of the works and the love that we have for one another and not give credit to us, but to give the glory to God. As a Christian, it costs us our honor to live in faith. We no longer live for our own honor, but we die to that. And now we live for the glory and the honor of the Lord Jesus. So the first thing it costs us is our honor. The second thing faith costs is our independence. Many people crave independence. Our culture values it for certain. Americans strongly believe in the concept of individualism. We consider ourselves to be separate individuals who are in control of our own lives, not necessarily members of a close-knit, interdependent family, tribe, nation, or any other group. Personally, I noticed within me a strong resistance to asking others for help. That shows me that I really value independence. Whatever it is, whether it's pride or whether it's truly concern for not wanting to burden others, depends upon the situation. But I struggle with needing other people. I value completing the task on my own. I like that. It makes me feel good about me. But faith in God calls me to give up my independence. I'm no longer my own. Look with me in Judges chapter 4, verse 14. So Deborah says to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. So she had told him, you're going to get up, you're going to go do this, but the, the woman will get the, the glory. So they gathered themselves up, and they were kind of waiting, and then the word came from God to go, and so she says, go. 
Does not the Lord go out before you? So this is a really encouraging thing. God is before you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera. Notice it doesn't say Barak. It doesn't say the men of Israel routed them. It says the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Heresheth Hagoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. So when Barak went into battle, he didn't have a chance to win unless God intervened. Remember, there were 10,000 men, but they were up against 900 chariots, iron chariots, which would have just mowed them down. I don't think he was desiring to go to battle without the Lord's help, though. He was a man of faith. But in order for him to win the battle, it was clear that he would not be able to do it independently, and not even with the help of just his army. Deborah said, does not the Lord go out before you? And then it says, the Lord routed Sisera and all his army. So you see, it was God who worked through them in order to bring the victory. So the question is, how much do we pride ourselves on doing things alone? How much do we take pride in the fact that I did this by my own strength? Do you rarely give credit to the Lord for his active participation in your life? To live a life of faith, it's going to cost you your independence because God will call you to do things that only he will be able to accomplish. To live a life of faith, to step out, you're going to be called to do things that will be impossible for you but will not be impossible for God. So Barak would have failed miserably had he not, in faith, trusted the Lord. And he would have missed a great opportunity had he not believed him enough to go and trust God to battle for him. So when our faith is in God, we don't have authority over our own lives. But we submit to the authority of the Lord. We follow his commands. Forsaking our independence, we become part of his family. Family members have individual roles to play. This isn't a slight on our individuality. I am unique. You're uniquely crafted. But what it is saying that is that we are not lived or designed to live independently of one another. We have distinctive roles to play within the body. Our actions affect others. Tonight we have our first family member meeting. There's 15 official family members at Connection Church, and we're excited to have our first family member meeting tonight. To be a family member at Connection Church, part of that is forsaking your independent spirit to be part of something greater than you can be by yourself. So you give up your independence in order to be part of something bigger. We have to, if we have our faith in Christ, give our independence to him. It costs us that. 
It costs us our honor, and it costs us our independence. And the third thing is it costs us our control. This may, this may be the highest cost for most of us. The rising cost of faith. I tried to do it in progression as much as the text would allow me to do that. And I think this might be the most difficult. You know, honor, we look at that, we think, okay, you know, I can do without honor as long as, you know, Jesus is the one receiving honor. I can, I can get behind that. Independence. Okay, I can see that there are definitely times in my life where I really need God. So I am willing to lay aside my independence knowing that God is going to fight battles for me. I can get behind that too. But giving up control? <sighs> are any of you nervous riders in the car? Like somebody else is driving, you're in the passenger seat and you're nervous? You know what I'm talking about. You say stuff like, I think that van is about to switch lanes. Oh, they're hitting their brakes ahead of you. Watch out for that guy on the bicycle. I don't think he sees us. That was my impression of my wife. Why are we so nervous in situations like this? I mean, we all struggle with control at some point, whether it's in the car or our career or whatever. Why are we so nervous? when other people seem to be in control. I, th- I think the reason is because we're not in control. I really think we hate that. I think our souls crave to want to be in control. Most likely, we all struggle with desiring control in one way or another. Look with me in Judges chapter 4, verse 19. This is Sisera, and he had run away from the battle because... They were defeated. He'd ran away, and he found what he thought were friends. And he said to Jael, he said, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while, she was, while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went in to her tent And there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. When we see the sovereignty and the providence of God in our lives, we will be much more at peace about giving up the ever-elusive, unattainable desire for control. God told Deborah that Sisera, Sisera... would be handed over to a woman for justice. Barak, you're not going to get the, the glory in this. So God was the one who orchestrated all of these events for him to be in that place in that time. He's the one who had him run from the fight and sleep in this tent. He's the one who had them put that tent in that position so that he would do that because they had moved earlier to that position. It wasn't their normal place. And it was the Lord who had Jael fulfill that prophecy by killing him with her tent peg and hammer. 
when you have faith in God, you realize He is the one in control around you. And you can start to trust Him. I heard another wonderful message in the same meeting on Thursday. There was a woman who spoke to the group and she taught about her battle with cancer and a phrase stuck with all of us. And the phrase was, trust God, trust the process. When you trust God, you may go through really tough times, but trust the process. If you're trusting God, trust his process. So I know what you're thinking, because that's what I was thinking. You're thinking, what about this killing? I mean, that's pretty gross. That's pretty intense. Was, does it seem a little harsh for God to do something like that? Right? I mean, what about loving your enemies? That's what Jesus said to do, to love your enemies. She, that's love. I don't want her to love me, right? There's an interesting aspect to this story that you might not find unless you read all the way through to the end of chapter 5. You see, Sisera was brutally killed. And if we were to be J.L. in this story, if we were her and they were writing about us doing that, I imagine it would be really hard to sleep in that tent where she killed him. They'd probably have to go get a new one. It's an intense story. Sometimes they don't land. I really thought that joke was going to hit the nail on the head. Doesn't it seem wrong that God allowed this to happen? This Cicero was an evil man. A lot of times we read stories and we don't get all of the details and we think, that's just not fair. This next chapter, this theological song that Deborah wrote, reveals to us what kind of man he was. And I want us to read it together in chapter 5, verse 28 through 30. It says, Out of the window she peered, the mother of Sisera, wailed through the lattice. So picture this, the mom of Sisera, the one who's been killed, is waiting for him to return back. And she's looking out. She's like, why is his chariot so long and coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest princesses answer. Indeed, she answers herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man? Spoil of dyed materials for Sisera? Spoil of dyed materials embroidered? Two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck as spoil. See the first part of that verse? Have they not found and divided the spoil? When they would go to war, they would be the spoil. If you win, you take claim your treasure. And what's the first thing that's listed right there? It says a womb or two for every man. That means what we think it means. That means Cicero was a rapist. As he would conquer these places, he would take women captive and make them his sex slave. And it wasn't just him. It was all of his men as well. After years of this evil man causing women to live in hellish nightmares of abuse, Sisera was brought to his death by a woman. 
On top of that, the instrument she used was a woman's instrument. It was the woman's job in that day to set the tents whenever they set up camp. So it was basically a woman's household utensil. God is a God of irony as well as a God of justice. It was a humiliating death for an evil man. Having faith in God costs us dearly. It does. We must give up our honor, our independence, our control. However, what we receive from God is far more valuable than anything this world could ever give to us. And when we surrender our lives by faith to Jesus, the Lord, we receive him and we receive all that comes from being a child of God. Because if you remember this, it was Jesus who was dishonored on the cross and humiliated in our place. So he lost his honor. It was Jesus who gave up his individual rights, his independence, so that we could find freedom in him. And it was Jesus who submitted to the plan, the providence, the control of the Father, and he gave up control of his life, which led to his death. The faithfulness of Jesus cost him a higher cost than we will ever have to pay. The more we see the worth of knowing him, the more, the more we see the worth of knowing Jesus, the more we see the value of his kingdom rising in our lives. So no matter what the cost of faith for us it is, we can say it is worth it. So I want you to remember with me, as you have those times of, man, I feel like I'm sacrificing way more than I should have to. I want to remind you to look at Christ first. Because obviously, stacked up against him, we don't have it that bad. But secondly, I want you to see the preciousness of being able to, to pay those costs and to walk with him by faith. And remember this one verse in Romans 8, verse 28. And it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, they work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean everything's going to make us feel great, but it means everything in our lives if we are loving God and following him, it's working, it's orchestrating so that we will become as much like Christ as we possibly can. The cost of faith is rising in the world. It, it tries to, to tempt us and say that you're, you're sacrificing too much for your faith, but the value of the kingdom of God is worth every sacrifice God will ever call us to make. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we enter into this moment, I pray that we would recognize your presence here with us right now. Father, it is so easy for me to, to not focus on you and to focus on the things of the world, to focus on the ways in which I am sacrificing, and it's so easy to forget the supreme sacrifice that you have made.
So Lord, we praise you that you have made the highest of all sacrifices. You have paid the highest of all prices. We ask that you would show us how to live like you, that we would give up this temporary honor of the world, that we would not seek it, that we would not seek to have this independent spirit that would basically say, forget everyone else, we want what's good for me. And Lord, I pray that you would free us from this quest for this unattainable control because we will not have it. Thank you, Jesus, for not only showing us the way to live by faith, but thank you, Jesus, for being the faithful one in whom we trust and through whose resurrection we know we have a reason to celebrate and we have many reasons to follow you. We love you, we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.